We read scripture this evening from Exodus chapter 5. The book of Exodus chapter 5. We read Exodus 5 and then we go into chapter 6 and we'll read the first eight verses of chapter 6. We hear the inspired word of God. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof. For they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw from where you can find it. Yet not Aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task? in making brick both yesterday and today, as heretofore. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet ye shall deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? 
Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses, and God and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take as our text verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we live in the midst of this life and as we go about the responsibilities God places before us, we have a pretty good idea of how things ought to go. We enter into marriage with an idea of how marriage should be, how marriage should go. God gives us children and we have an idea of how it is that we're to raise the children that God is pleased to grant unto us. We go to school and we get comfortable with the routine. We know what to expect and what it is that comes next. We have an expectation about work, about other areas of life. And we expect things to go somewhat predictably according to the way that we would anticipate. But life is not that way, as you well know and I know. Things do not go as we would desire them to go. And so often there's trouble. Things don't go as we would predict. Often in the Christian life there are significant disappointments and setbacks. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to begin questioning why. We lose hope. We wonder, what did we do wrong? What is God trying to tell us? Why is all of this trouble coming upon us? That's the situation we find Moses in now in this history. Moses now is in a situation where he's done everything that God told him to do. He found Aaron. He told Aaron everything. Aaron was encouraged. He went and told the officers of the Israelites. God worked in them faith so that they believed and even worshipped. 
And now finally, he and Aaron have gotten the boldness to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh everything that God told them to do. And what happens? God has something else in store. Now, God had warned Moses in chapter 4, verse 21, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. But Moses didn't understand what that all could encompass. And now it seems as though it's far more difficult and far more serious than anything that Moses could ever have expected. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh now turns on the people. And the result is that he creates so much difficulties for the people that they in turn turn on Moses and Aaron now. And Moses in the middle of this whole mess. What is God doing? Beloved, something wonderful God is doing and something that has application not just to Moses but also to you and to me. God is teaching us concerning himself. And God is teaching us this truth. I am God alone. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I would listen to him? Who is the Lord that I would answer and obey him? And the response of God is, I am the Lord, and I am Jehovah alone. Who is the troubler of Israel? What comfort is there in being troubled? What is the fruit of such troubling? We look at that this evening, beloved, under the theme, let my people go. We note the opposition immediately here of Pharaoh, as expressed in verse 2. The trouble and the troubler, and then finally, the lesson. Who is the Lord that I should obey this voice to let Israel go? We read in verse 2. As we noted, Moses came to Pharaoh, and Moses now instructs Pharaoh of the request to go and worship. This was the instruction that God gave in Exodus 3, verse 18. In Exodus 3, God said to Moses, Moses, you're to go to Pharaoh, go and gather the elders, and then you should come unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God gave Moses that instruction. Go to Pharaoh. This is what you're to tell him. Moses follows now all of the instructions to a T. Now, some are critical here of Moses and even of God of being deceptive. Was it really the case that Moses really wanted the people just to leave for three days? Or was God then just using that and then he would let the people continue and leave? God alone, God himself gave this instruction to to Moses. Should Pharaoh allow them to go for three days, then that would open up the possibility that further negotiations might take place with regard to the future. But God knew better. God knew that wasn't going to be the case. We could ask then, why does God tell him that they just want to go three days out to worship when in reality God wants to get them all together out of the land? God is demonstrating here the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the unbelief of Pharaoh. A reasonable demand allow us just for three days to go and worship will not even be considered by this wicked man so that God demonstrates here the fact that this Pharaoh is incapable of even acknowledging the most reasonable of requests and this sets the stage then for an all-out war between Pharaoh and Jehovah God 
This isn't deception. This is sincere. Let us go. Let us worship for three days. Israel then would come back and return back to their labors. Pharaoh responds with a wicked but a very important question that we need to look at. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? That's the question that defines this history not only, but all of history. Who is the Lord that I'm going to listen to him? Who is Jehovah that I will acknowledge what he wants? This is the question that defines the whole of the conflict that takes place not only in this history, but throughout the whole world. Who is Jehovah that we will bow before this one and that we will acknowledge that what he says is truth and that we need to submit to him? God uses this question to remind Moses, to remind Israel, to remind all of us. What is at stake in the history of this world? Who rules the world? Who is sovereign over all? Jehovah. God's glory is at stake. The exodus is about God. It's about Jehovah God and his might and his power. It's about the credibility of who he is and his right to demand of men, let my people go. This history isn't about Moses. It's not about Israel. It's not even about Pharaoh. This history is about Jehovah who alone is God. There is none like unto our God. That's our confession. And as we read the scriptures, God reveals himself to us in all of his glory. He is the holy, righteous, triune God. He is the one who rules all things, who created all things. He's the one who speaks. And by his speech sets forth the truth concerning himself to which all men are commanded to submit and to bow. The whole world and everything in it has been created by Jehovah God. Jehovah is Lord of the entire universe. He's directing everything by his power, by his might, and according to his perfect counsel and plan. He's the Lord God of these people that are found in Egypt. And he's revealing himself as the God of election. These are my own. I've chosen them. They belong to me. They don't belong to this world. They don't belong to the devil. They don't belong to Pharaoh. And they are called now to show forth my praise in the midst of the world. God brings his commands to the sovereign. God brings his commands as the sovereign God to Pharaoh and to all earthly leaders. And God says, I am Jehovah. You are to submit to me. I'm the one who's placed you in your place and you're to honor and to direct all things according to my will. God owns the people of Israel. They're his. They're his people of mercy and of grace. And Pharaoh must let God's people go. Repeatedly through this history, we're going to read, let my people go, let my people go. These people are mine, God says. They don't belong to you. Let my people go. The truth of God is set forth here in this history. And Pharaoh responds with this question. The question of unbelief. The question of pride. The question that reveals who he thinks he is. Pharaoh says, 
I'm Lord. I'm God. Who is this God to come to me now and demand of me that I obey and that I listen? Now Pharaoh knew from looking at the heavens about him and at the world that was made that God alone is God. Romans 1 and 2 reveal that, that all men know from the creation about them the testimony concerning God. And they are required by virtue of that testimony of creation to acknowledge that God is God and that he alone is to be served. The firmament displays the glory of God. The Psalms express that again and again. There is a God and he must be worshipped and praised alone. All men everywhere know that truth by virtue of creation. In the hardness of his heart, Pharaoh rejects that truth. He rejects Jehovah. He's proud. He's determined he will be the sovereign of his own life. He's not going to listen to anyone else. He's going to only do what he wants to do because he is his own God. This is the inherent pride that exists in the hearts of every man, woman, and child that's ever been born. This is the pride that exists in your and my heart by nature. I will do what I want to do, and I am not going to listen to someone else. Don't you tell me what I must do or what I may not do with regard to my life. Now Moses and Aaron don't come begging, they don't come pleading, they don't come offering suggestions. Moses and Aaron come as God required of them. They come with authority. And they come demanding that Pharaoh release the Israelites. Let my people go. The God of heaven and earth, the creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes with authority. He comes with might. He comes with power. And what happens? Men, women, and children defy the authority of God. Who is God that I would listen to him? Who is God that I would obey him? The more they learn about God, the more rebellious they become. The more Pharaoh saw the hand of God directing all things, the more rebellious, the more hardened he became, as we'll see throughout history. He would do everything in his power to exalt himself above God and to make himself the one who is God. Only God's grace, beloved, is able to break such pride. For Pharaoh, no such grace existed. Pharaoh was viewed by the Egyptians as a god. He viewed himself as one who was over all and would answer to no one. And his arrogance is such that he will not listen, he will not submit. Now Pharaoh there is a type of the devil and the devil's influence of all worldly leaders. This is the power the devil exerts over mankind and over leaders. They will not acknowledge that God is the one that put them in that position of leadership. They will not acknowledge that they owe their rule to God and they're commanded to direct and to govern in accordance with his will. Who is this one? Who is this one who allows his people to languish under my taskmasters? In essence, Pharaoh was saying, oh really, there's a God? Just look around you. It's pretty obvious that he's not very powerful. Look what he's letting me do. If he's God and I've been ruling these people for some 400 years and now I've been subjecting them to tremendous hardship and misery, where is this God that you're talking about? 
I am God. I am the Lord. Now the pharaohs were so proud that they considered themselves to be children of the sun god. And they were even to be worshipped as gods. And some of them insisted on that. So proud some of the pharaohs even were, according to reading some history about them, that some of them claimed that it was the pharaoh who had to get up first in the morning in order to make the sun rise. In other words, the sun wouldn't rise in the sky unless Pharaoh himself got up and he was the one that proclaimed the rising of the sun so that his might and his power was such that he controlled the things that were taking place in nature. One Pharaoh claimed, I am that which was and is and should be. No man has ever lifted my veil or discovered my being. So proud these Pharaohs were. And so now this Pharaoh, in response to Moses' command, is saying, I don't know about and I don't care about God. And I'm going to do what I want to do. I own Israel and I'm going to do with them as I please. The devil takes hold of hearts, hardens them, and works this response. God's will? I'm not going to pursue God's will. I'm going to do my will and I'm going to do what I want to do we see this in ourselves we see this in our children our young people and Satan continues his work he tries mightily to stir that pride up and to cause that pride to exert itself in our lives Satan has his way with Pharaoh as his tool in this history trying to bring about the downfall of God's people. Satan thinks that he can bring about the fact of the destruction of the coming of the Christ. Christ will not come because Israel will be destroyed under Pharaoh. He can undermine God's will, he thinks. Wicked rulers of this world rise up. And pretty soon we're going to sing out of Psalm 2. Wherefore do the nations rage and the people vainly dream that in triumph they can wage war against the King Supreme. They think they can wage war against Jehovah. They think they can defy Him. Our God is in the heavens. He holds them in derision. God will cause His will to be done despite the opposition. And God will even accomplish His will of His providence in the way of their rebellion and in the way of their wickedness. The ultimate purpose, that God be glorified and that God's name be exalted. And God will accomplish that wonder through Pharaoh. Now Moses immediately here is speaking of the trouble that's taking place. And we want to look for a few moments at that trouble and the troubler. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. That was the command that God directed to Pharaoh. There is in this presentation of the truth and God's demand to Pharaoh already the beginning of the Exodus. Moses speaks the truth and Pharaoh's heart is hardened in his pride and his vanity. The result, trouble for the Israelites. We read it. You children are aware of it. Pharaoh made their life harder. How cruel. He said, you have to still make the same amount of bricks, but I'm not going to provide you the straw. 
And so now they have to run all around trying to find straw and still meet the quota that was required of them previously. There's no way they can do that. And they find themselves immediately in such a situation. How can we begin to do this? And then they're beat as a result. And they're disciplined because they're not doing it. Anyone can tell this is unsustainable. This is cruel. And yet Pharaoh will not back down. He undermines the words of Moses and he turns the officers of Israel against Moses. The brutality of the beating is making it difficult now for the Israelites. And the result is that the officers cry out. Now they should have cried to God. They cry out to Pharaoh in their distress. And we have them in the last part of chapter 5 then going to Pharaoh in order to plead their case before Pharaoh. Pharaoh directs them to the fact, you're idle. You had too much time on your hands. You wanted to worship. So now they turn on Moses and Aaron. You are the reason for the troubles that we're experiencing. Moses does the right thing. The last part of chapter 5, Moses cries out to the Lord. We find Moses broken here in verses 22 and 23. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Moses is broken. He came. He thought he was doing what was right. And now look what's the result. The result is there's just more trouble. They're further away from being delivered. And the oppression is intensifying. God reminds Moses, and that's why we had to go into chapter 6, who he is. God says, I am Jehovah. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 2, Moses is defeated. He's rejected by his own. He's isolated now. He does the only thing that he can think to do, and that is cry out to God in prayer. And God reminds Moses who the troubler here is. Now, ultimately, the devil, of course, is always the troubler. We had that in catechism this past week where Ahab thought Elijah was the troubler. And Elijah had to say, no, I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler in Israel. It's the way of sin, the way of wickedness that causes that trouble. The devil's the one who's stirring things up. But God reminds his people this is all according to his providence and all according to his plan so that Essentially, the troubler in Israel here is none other than Jehovah God. Who is troubling the world? Christ Jesus. It is He. Moses was a type of Christ. Seems as though Moses now is just causing trouble. Jesus came. And what did Jesus accomplish through His ministry? Trouble. Everywhere Jesus went, there was trouble. The seniors and juniors are tracing in catechism the ministry of Jesus. And we're noting that trouble. Jesus does miracles. He does healing. And what ends up happening? The Pharisees are furious. The scribes are angry. There's all kinds of trouble that's created. Jesus declares, I'm the Messiah. Accusations fly. They try to kill him. The word of God comes into this world 
and man rejects God's word. Who is God? And man rebels against God's word, and wicked men will not hear. They will not listen. In the Babylon of this world, men plug their ears. They stop their eye. They will not listen to the word of God. And inspired by the devil, they're moved to say, who is this God? The devil tries to work that response in the heart of God's children as well. He tempts us. We hear God's words. We hear his commands. We experience his providence in our lives. And we're tempted to rebel. We're tempted to pursue our own way, our own will. We pretend we don't know God. We don't know his word. God is setting forth the truth that will take place throughout all of history. The truth that Jesus himself proclaimed, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. The troubler of this world is Jehovah God in Jesus Christ. And God is represented in his church. And so as the word goes forth, proclaimed by the church, what's the fruit of it? The twofold. There will be some that are convicted, are brought into the fellowship of the truth. Others are going to be hardened become angry, become furious with that work. The church is tempted to back off. The temp church is tempted to compromise the message because they don't want offense. The church doesn't want to stand out. The church doesn't want to be mocked, doesn't want to be ridiculed for standing for the truth. We want to be identified as those who are tolerant, as those who are accepting, those who are loving. But when we call sin, sin, when we demand repentance, what happens? Accusations fly now against the church. Men, women, rise up. They're not going to listen. They won't submit. They won't repent. The result is that the church world changes the message and salvation is no longer set forth then as salvation from sin. Sin is tolerated. Sin is excused. Sin is justified. Who wants trouble? Who wants to experience difficulties? With boldness, the church is called, proclaim the word of God. Proclaim the word of God in all of its power. Let my people go. Free God's people from the bondage of sin, the bondage of Arminianism, the bondage of false doctrine. Cause that they might know the truth of the gospel, which is liberating. And as that message goes forth, the response is, we will worship him the way we want. We will pursue our own will. And we see God filling the cup of iniquity. The devil roaring in response to the declaration of the church. Raising up leaders who insist they know not God. And the church becomes the object of persecution. Now we know all of this according to God's good pleasure. God filling that cup of iniquity. God preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. We know the scriptures, Israel must be redeemed through judgment. And important it is that as the church proclaims the word of truth that God commands, we are to expect, we are to anticipate the response of the world. Persecution will come. And so God says to you and to me, as we are called to proclaim in our own lives faithfulness, as we admonish as a church of Jesus Christ, as we sound forth the truth of God. Verses 5 and 6 here of chapter 6. I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel 
whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. God is faithful. It's in His time. It's according to His method, His manner. God in His faithfulness sent His own Son. Jesus Christ came in the place of sinful men to atone for sin. Jesus came in order to free His people from the bondage of sin and death. And He stood in the place of those who were in bondage. And He took upon themselves that punishment that they deserved. And they were freed. He set them loose from the bondage of sin and death. And then what does Christ do? Christ calls us now to come to himself. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Israel is brought to this knowledge. You need to come to God. You need to come to the only one who is able to free you and deliver you. And you need to come in order to sacrifice you need to bring worship. But now the people are rising up against Moses and Aaron. Why would we want to worship? Why did you try to get us free so that we could worship? There's no desire on their part now all of a sudden to worship, to express that thankfulness. We come to Christ, beloved, confessing that he is our Lord and our God. And we're taught by Jesus that God demands justice. He's a God of justice and a God of mercy. He demands the truth be set forth. Sin be condemned. He sets forth His own Son as the one who stood in the place of sinners and worked atonement and grants mercy. Jesus came in His ministry to the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were holding the people into, in bondage to their works righteousness. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, let my people go. And the Pharisees hardened their hearts. The self-righteous leaders refused to do it. They were holding men in that bondage of sin. Jesus says, let my people go. And though there, were, there was opposition and there was hatred, Jesus saw to the gathering of his church and of his saints. When he healed sin, when he healed the sin, and when he called sinners to repentance... His message was, let my people go. And when he died on the cross, he accomplished that wonder of wonder. He testified to the purpose for which he came. He said, I mean it, and I meant it. I am the one who accomplished deliverance for everyone whom the Father had given me. The troubler of the world is the Savior of his people. What a God, beloved. What a glorious God whose ways are higher than our ways. He comes to us in love and He assures us that freedom is yours. You've been freed. You've been set free. I have freed you. And now you are to worship. You are mine. The devil tried to hold you in his grasp, but he could not keep you. Perhaps you may think that you sin so greatly and that your sins are so grievous that there's no possibility that you can be saved or delivered. Jesus says, no, you're mine. 
Look at Israel. They sinned again and again. They rebelled. They rejected God. They turned their backs on the one who loved them. But God demonstrated his faithfulness again and again. I will keep my covenant. I will maintain my covenant. I have remembered my covenant. Verse 5. Thank God, beloved, that the covenant is God's. That he established it. That he maintains it. That he preserved and protected it and perfected it and that he's the one that will ultimately bring it to its glory in heaven praise be to God that despite our sinfulness and pride and rebellion he is the one who accomplishes the wonder of preserving and keeping us in friendship with himself Moses is so troubled by all of this that he turns on God and we're inclined in our lives to do the same thing Things don't go the way that we would desire. And we begin to turn on God. And God directs us to the wonder of His grace. He directs us to Christ. He directs us to His faithfulness, to His people, and to His faithfulness to His covenant. I am Jehovah. I keep covenant with you. I preserve you. And I will keep you to all eternity. And in our pride, we need to ask ourselves, do we really think that we deserve something better? Do we really think that we can object to the sovereign God of heaven and earth? To the one who knows precisely what's necessary for our life in order to bring us to glory? Jehovah says, I am God, and I have set you free. And I have shown my light now in the midst of the darkness of this world in order to expose that darkness and the result is that the world hates me and the world despises me as it will you. And so, beloved, as a church of Jesus Christ, called to be in this world, but not of it, in the midst of this world, we proclaim the message of the gospel. Worship is commanded. It's not an option. And we declare to the world around us, we need to worship. And we will worship our God. And wherever God gives us an open door, we're called to proclaim and promote God, His Word, and His Gospel. And to promote the necessity of worship. Seeking to establish churches where God's people can gather in order to worship. This is going to cause trouble. This truth troubles the wicked. They don't want worship. Rulers may rise up to try to keep us from worshiping, to try to prevent or dictate the worship. But the church, faithful to God, says no. God is the one who requires this of us. And we will persevere in that desire by God's grace. The church will be persecuted, which stands for God and for His Son. And we expect that. And we count it a privilege even to be persecuted, even as our Lord was. Now that doesn't happen, it must not happen just because we desire to be different and we have a desire to grind axes and be troublemakers. There are people like that. In pride, men and women just want to stir up trouble for their own wicked motives. But motivated by the glory of God, the church insists we will worship our God. And that truth comes then with heartache. We bring the word of rebuke in love. We bring it in kindness. We bring that truth like the prophets of old. We expose sin. But God calls us 
to proclaim also to the world in which we live, let my people go. God glorifies himself through the proclamation of the gospel and through the outcome. And God accomplishes then his good pleasure in the hardening of some, the quickening of others. What is God doing here in this history? What's the lessons that we are to draw from it? First of all, God is working sanctification in the life of Moses. We've seen that before, and we may have thought that God had done sufficient work. It seemed as though Moses was a different man. He was a changed man. Moses thought he was ready, but God still had further work to do. Moses had to learn that God is in complete control and that he has to trust God and God's timing. How hard is that not for you and for me? God is at work in us as well, and God is sanctifying, and we see progress, we see development. And yet, how difficult to submit to the fact that this is all God's work, and God is the one whose timing is good. God assures Moses of his faithfulness. Pharaoh will let the people go. I'm still God, the God of my covenant, and I'm faithful, and I will bring the people of Israel out of the land as my peculiar people to show forth my grace. And Moses needs to keep going to Pharaoh. Imagine how hard that had to be, going to Pharaoh ten times. Pharaoh changing his mind. Pharaoh coming up with excuses. But God saying, Moses, do as I say. You're not God. I'm God, and you will submit, and you will do what I instruct you to do. Moses is learning God's time, God's way, God's will. Moses experienced trouble. We often experience trouble, but again, there's truth here for him. Moses returns to the Lord, and he bows before the Lord, and he prays. Now, we don't know, again, the time frame that took place here. It may have been a matter of hours. It may have been a matter of days. Moses falling on his knees before God in verses 22 and 23. In essence, Moses saying, God, this whole project doesn't seem to be working. God, don't you have another plan? And what is Moses having to learn again? Moses is a child of God, but he sins here. He's human. We've been there. We ask questions. We struggle with it. But God has to come to Moses and say, Moses, you can't deliver the people. I alone can do it. And God patiently takes Moses in close and reminds him of everything that he said. How beautiful. God in love taking us, his rebellious children, and hugging us to himself, taking us close, and assuring us again of everything that he said. He's assuring us of his promises. And that's what God does. God pulls Moses in again and says, Moses, here are my promises. And he repeats all those promises again to Moses. Now here's Moses' problem. Those promises don't seem to jive with God's providence. And isn't that the struggle of all of our lives? God's promises don't seem to jive with his providence in my life. And God is teaching Moses, Moses, my promises always will work together for good. My promises are always going to serve providence, and providence will always serve my promises. 
Moses has a problem with God's rule in light of his promises. God's promises are good, but they don't seem to be working. And how we struggle at times. We know the promises. I will be a God to you and I will never leave you or forsake you. I will care for you. I will provide for you. And yet, we struggle because those promises seem cut off from God's providence. Sickness, troubles come to us contrary to what we would expect. Troubles in marriage, difficulties with our children. As we're living for God, it seems as though everything should be working together and for good, and yet God causes trouble. Why would I lose my job if I'm trying to do what's right? Why would these troubles come upon me if I'm trying to stand for the truth of God's word? I'm trying to do exactly what God tells me to do. That was Moses. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. Patience isn't a strong point for us either, is it? We need to learn. Tragically, it seems pride is the only thing that comes easy. God, the God of salvation, is the God of sanctification. And he sanctifies through chastisement. Those whom he loves, he purges, he purifies. Moses is loved of God. And Moses is being led and guided here then in love by his heavenly father. You children and young people know that, and you need to remember that. Don't ever forget. There's a reason why your parents don't let you go, get by with everything. Your parents love you. They correct you. They admonish you. They correct you in love. And that discipline and correction is necessary. Without it, we would go our own proud and wicked way. God teaches us his way is not easy. His way is the only way. And his way is always good. And that God is holding the leaders of the world in his hands. And God is working all things together for good in and through them. And that God is doing so also in your life and my life. Beloved, what a God. Moses here is broken. He's in the midst of battle. He realizes there's no hope. Nothing that he said had any power. Pharaoh is hard as a rock. The people are rebelling against him. But God comes with a word of gospel. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 7. Beloved, our only hope is in the word of the gospel. And what a glorious gospel that is. Jesus was troubled in every way like as we, yet without sin. And Jesus is the one to whom we are drawn. The one who was sorrowful unto death. The one who draws us to himself in comfort and in love. Who commands, come to me. And we come to him by faith. And we lay hold on him. He who died and who teaches us then to die to self. The conflict in Israel is about the God who takes trouble and makes it serve his perfect purpose. The God who is the troubler in the midst of this world, but who is the savior of his church and his people. And he uses that great troubler, the devil, to perfect his work and to accomplish deliverance. He gives us through Jesus Christ, risen to know the victory that is ours. As we proclaim the message of the gospel, there's going to be trouble. 
in this world we'll have trouble. As we discipline our children, as we ourselves live the Christian life, there's going to be trouble. But God is faithful and God is gracious. And this is the God who has set us free. The God who has delivered us from the selfishness of the bondage of sin. And the God who now is ruling all things for good for his church. Are you set free, beloved? Have you been released? Go and worship. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank and we praise thee for thy goodness and mercy despite our hardness of heart and our sinfulness. Soften our hearts. Continue the wonder of thy work of sanctification in our lives and teach us thy will to do. And give us the grace to submit. This we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.